and I'm going to join you. <clears throat> Seated as well. <laughs> this feels kind of weird, but I think it's going to help. <clears throat> you know, I'm glad to be here. <clears throat> like I said, when he <clears throat> called on Thursday, when Pastor Brian called Thursday, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I'm not sure who my backup would have been. <clears throat> was it Dave? <clears throat> you, uh, would you be standing in, or Chuck, or <clears throat> Brits, don't look at me. <clears throat> many things to be praying about, uh, many people to be praying for, and I trust you keep your prayer list handy. Uh, Ron's got a test tomorrow, he just mentioned to me, he's been praying for you in, in that regards. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I feel like I'm out of the loop. I've caught a few things that way, but not, not a lot. Um, boy, this has given me a little greater sense of empathy for people. It really has. I mean, I, I think we've all known that this virus is real and that it, it can knock you down, and it, it's crazy how it affects people differently. Um, I know some people that have got it, and a day or two later, they were totally fine, and others that it, you know, it just lingers and goes on and on and on. Um, I remember talking to you, Dave, when you had it, and you're bouncing back and doing pretty good. And I thought, oh, he's out of the woods. And then a couple days later, you sounded like you were back to stage one. And I'm thinking, man, how does this work? And I just kept it in my mind assuming, well, he's over it, you know. Um, but the struggle, it takes time. Uh, I reached a point, both Diane and I reached a point in the middle of it where he just wanted to quit. <laughs> she looked at me one day and she goes, this is my quit day. <laughs> I don't want to drink anything. I don't want to fight. I just want to lay here and give up. And you know, I was thinking about that, and I think about people. I mean, if I got to that point in the matter of a couple of weeks, um, what's it like for people that are hurting and that struggle with pain on a daily basis, and it's, it's a long-term thing? Uh, how do they deal with, with that? And it just, I don't know, it, it helped me to see that there's a lot more that I need to be praying more for people that I know that struggle with things like that. Um, it, 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 it does things to you mentally that you don't think it'll do to you. Um, so... You know, there's good that comes with everything. I'm, I'm thankful that God has put us through this. I'm glad he's bringing us through it on the other side. Um, but again, thank you so much for praying for us. And uh, we love you guys. Church family is a good thing. And um, <clears throat> all the calls and the cards and the, hey, can we bring you this and that? And it didn't know what to say. It didn't, we didn't need anything. <clears throat> I guess Dave and Barb brought us a couple things and a couple other people stopped at the store for medicine and stuff. But um, you don't feel like eating, and there's nothing you can really do. You just sit there and um, get through it. So we're going to look at a variety of scriptures today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the man Peter. And I'm going to tell you right up front that we're going to get through this part of it, but tonight is round two. And I think this stands alone this morning, enough to where uh, we can gain what we need to gain from it. But if you can get back tonight, um, maybe, David, we can try to record the audio at least for tonight as well. Um, because it is, they do go hand in hand together. Like I said, it stands alone, um, and this, this evening's one will as well. But um, you put it together and you get the picture that we're talking about. Uh, boldness for Christ is the, what I've titled the message. And as we begin, let me just ask a couple questions. How many of you would consider yourselves to be bold? You don't have to raise your hand, but just internally, what are you thinking? <clears throat> boldness is your personality. Now, that's just kind of how you're wired. You say what you think, no matter who might disagree. You're, you're not afraid to speak up in public. Some of you guys are looking around at people already and <clears throat> say, yep, that's you. Um, especially if you feel passionately about something, you're, you're not afraid to speak up. No one ever wonders what you're thinking <laughs> because you always say it out loud. Um, people are wired that way. How many of you would consider yourselves to be more on the timid side? 
you've got opinions, but you don't usually voice them out loud. Um, you talk about it with your spouse or with friends maybe later on, but you don't really want to engage in front of a crowd. You're apt to walk away instead of engaging in a discussion that might become confrontational. Where do you fit on the spectrum? Boldness on one side, timid on the other. I think we probably have both types of people here today, and, and there's probably some of us that would find ourselves somewhere in the middle, where we say, well, I'm not always super timid, but I'm not the kind that's going to just speak my mind no matter what. <clears throat> I like working with older people. It, it kind of cracks me up. You talk to folks, and they're like, man, at my age, I've earned the right, and I don't care what people think. <laughs> and uh, they just say what they're going to say, and they don't really worry too much about it. That can be a two-edged sword. Um, <clears throat> But as you think about your personality type, does it spill over into your witness for Christ? If you're a bold person, do you demonstrate that same boldness for the Lord? If you're a timid person, do you find that it sometimes hinders you from discussing spiritual things with people? You know, I think if we're honest, whether we're timid or whether we're bold, we'd all have to say that we struggle to some degree or another in speaking up for the Lord. It's something that's a common thing. Whether it's outright witnessing opportunity, whether it's a chance to defend the truth of Scripture, whether it's an opportunity to speak up in, in support of just morality in general, even the boldest of us can shrink back and sometimes become timid, can't we? We don't always speak up for our Lord. And, you know, in all fairness, as I was thinking about this this week, it's not easy to stand boldly for Christ in the society that we live in today. I think it's getting harder. There's a growing segment of our society that's moved from ambivalence towards the truth to outright hostility towards the truth. You understand what I mean? It used to be kind of an ambivalence. You, could, you, you believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I'm going to want to believe. I'm not going to force you one way or the other. But today it's almost like you've got to believe like I'm going to believe. I'm going to force you to believe my way. And I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. There's hostility towards the truth. Whether it's abortion or the LGBT movement or gender identity or critical race theory or Black Lives Matter movement, our culture is becoming increasingly vocal and at times increasingly violent. Those of us that hold to a belief in the absolutes of scripture are becoming more and more of a minority. In 1945, that doesn't seem that long ago. I wasn't around yet, but it doesn't seem that long ago. In 1945, 75% of Americans still attended church on a regular basis. 75%. Today, the statistics are down around 47%, and they've expanded it to once or twice a month in order to get 47%. For the first time in America's history, less than half of Americans say they go to church, even on a semi-regular basis. Folks, things have changed. We are now in the minority. Truths that used to be commonly upheld by believers and unbelievers alike now might not even get an amen in many Christian churches. No one wants to believe that anymore. It's not popular to speak about absolute truth. It's not palatable to say that Jesus is the only way. It's not politically correct to speak of personal sin and eternal punishment. You know, God, Paul's words to Titus in the book of Titus that evil men will wax worse and worse. That's being played out before our eyes in today's society. So do you struggle sometimes speaking up for Christ? You know, there's times I do. For most of us, the issue isn't one of knowledge. I look around this room today and I see a lot of spiritual maturity. I, I would guess that just about everybody here in this room could lead somebody to Christ, could give them the plan of salvation and even use scripture verses along with it to support what they're saying and bring them to that point where they understood the truth of the gospel. I don't think the issue is knowledge. The number one reason people don't share their faith is fear. 
fear. Afraid of what people might think, afraid of what people might say, afraid of what they might do. <laughs> Maybe afraid that if we bring up one of these hot-button topics, we'll be branded as an anti-choice, racist, homophobic radical. <laughs> and I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I wonder if the change in our culture is somewhat having an effect on our willingness to speak up. Because we don't know if we say something for Christ, if all of a sudden that might lead into some other whole discussion. And now we'll be branded and lumped together with this other group of people that we really don't identify with. I think it's having an effect. And so we capitulate. And sometimes we say nothing. We allow fear to win, win the day. We become, as it were, ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul's made it clear that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. I don't think we want to be timid when it comes to spiritual things. So I guess the question as we move into the passages here is how do we reclaim our spiritual boldness? How do we get back to the point where we're not timid and we're not afraid to speak up for Christ? And that's what I'd like to explore today. And we'll do it by looking at several snapshots from the life of the Apostle Peter. I like Peter. Um, The more I study Peter, the more I like him. (laughs) Maybe it's because I can relate to him a little more than I probably want to. Um, And you know, the more I study Peter, the older that I get, the more I think sometimes we give Peter a bad rap. I think sometimes we come down a little hard on Peter in some areas when, man, he was the one that would speak up. He was the one that really wanted to follow Christ. I mean, he stepped out of the boat. No one else did. (laughs) Uh, He was the first one to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Where else wouldn't we go but to you? Uh, He was the one to speak up and say, Lord, I'll never deny you. Um, Peter's heart was in the right place. He didn't always follow through with what he needed. Um, But I I like Peter. What comes to your mind when you think of him? I think physically he was probably a man's man. He was a blue-collar kind of guy. Uh, He was a hard worker, big, brawny, tough as nails, not going to back down for anyone, not going to back down for anything. That's on a physical basis. That's how I see Peter. He was a fisherman. He's used to throwing that net and bringing it back in multiple times every single night. Um, He probably had some serious back muscles, (laughs) right? And he wasn't afraid to put you in your place if you needed to be. He'd stand up for what he was passionate about. He'd speak his mind. He'd defend his positions. Lack of boldness was not something that Peter struggled with. Until that fateful night around the fire. And you remember how his courage turned to fear and his boast to ashes as he warmed himself that night in the courtyard. Fear gripped his soul as denials escaped his lips. And then the rooster crowed. And Peter, this bold, powerful man, turned and he ran from the courtyard in tears. And the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. He was a broken man. But the story doesn't end there. After the resurrection, Jesus found Peter, remember, (laughs) by the Sea of Galilee. They had a candid conversation. And at the end of that time, we see Peter's boldness return and he never looked back. The Peter we see in the book of Acts is a totally different Peter than the one that we see at the end of the Gospels. Something had happened to Peter. There was a change in his life. And folks, what Jesus did for Peter, he can do the same thing for us as well. He can help us be bold just like he enabled Peter. And I want to take a little closer look at this development in his life and see how Peter went from betrayal to boldness. And we'll get through the first part of it. Like I said, we'll we'll add a little more to it tonight. But it'll break down for us in three different perspectives. First of all, number one, Peter's boast. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. 
Like I said, in Sunday school, I can't talk and turn pages at the same time, so maybe I'll just be quiet and try to get there. <clears throat> to put it in context, it's the Passover night. Uh, the disciples have eaten the, the Passover in the upper room with Jesus Christ. They've now come down through the city. They're working their way to the Mount of Olives. Jesus Christ has foretold his death and his resurrection. And after doing that, we come now down to verse 31 of Matthew 26. And Jesus said unto them, All of you will be offended because of me this night. To be offended is the idea of to stumble and to fall. You're going to fall flat on your face. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Jesus is saying that you guys are going to, you're going to fall tonight. You're going to be offended because of me. Not saying flat-out denial, but that's the implication. And each of you are going to scatter. Well, what does Peter say on the heels of that? Verse 33, Peter answered and said, Though all men should be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Not me, Lord. Lord, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be offended. Is there a touch of pride and self-confidence in Peter's voice? Yeah, I think so. I think in all fairness there is. <clears throat> I think, though, that he honestly believes what he's saying. I don't think Peter sees an instance where he would deny his Lord. Jesus gets a little more specific now in verse 34. He says, Verily I say unto you that this night before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me three times. Jesus says, you're going to deny me, Peter. And you're not only going to do it once, you're going to do it three times. And the sign that that's going to happen is that when you get done, you're going to hear that rooster crow. Luke, um, to, de- to deny means to affirm that I have no acquaintance or no connection with someone. It's a pretty strong word. I don't know you is what you're going to say. Luke twenty two thirty four says it this way. I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. You're going to claim tonight, Peter, that you don't even know me, that you've never met me. Personally, I think Peter is shocked by these words. I think this is totally catching him off guard. And I think maybe he's even a little bit hurt that Jesus would say this. He's come to recognize that Jesus Christ is his Messiah. I think he's taken him as his Lord and Savior already at this point. And over the past three and a half years, as they've traveled together and served together, he's come to love Jesus Christ. And I don't think Peter can even imagine in his mind the thought of denying this one that he's come to love. He doesn't see that that's even possible. It's the farthest thing from his mind. Look down in verse 35, Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. <laughs> Who was the one that said it first? It was Peter. And all the other disciples, Oh, Lord, we won't do it either. <laughs> we won't deny you. Yes, a little bit of self-confidence. But I think his heart is pure. I think he really believes this from the bottom of his heart. But folks, there's something that Jesus knows that Peter doesn't know. Satan has set his sights on Peter. The book of Luke, the same account in chapter 22, verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Peter, Satan's coming after you. You know, it reminds me of the passage uh, in Job where Satan comes before God and and God says, have you seen my servant Job? (laughs) He's a great guy. Satan says, let me at him. I wonder if Jesus had been bragging about Peter. And Satan says, let me at him. I think Satan knows that Peter is the the link here. And if he can get him out of the equation, he's got a better chance of accomplishing his mission. And what Peter doesn't know is that in his own strength, he is no match for the wicked one. He's accomplished some incredible things. 
through his ministry with the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's God's strength in him, not his own strength. Yes, he made his boast, and yes, he was a little bit proud, and yes, he was probably a little arrogant and self-confident. But I think Peter truly loved his Lord. Spiritual forces were at work that night that were greater than what Peter understood. And he was trying to accomplish spiritual ministry in his own strength and in his own power. And that was destined to fail. But I love verse 32 there of Luke, chapter 22. Jesus says, you're going to be sifted like wheat, but what's the next phrase? I have prayed for thee. (laughs) What a tremendous thought. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Did you catch that? Jesus is affirming that Peter's going to get through this. When thou art converted, (laughs) when you're restored, When you've repented and come back to me, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus is praying for Peter. He already had. I wonder how much time in the garden as Jesus was praying for himself and for the whole situation, was he also praying for Peter? Jesus knew he would fall. He knew he would ultimately return. I wonder if Peter replayed the words of that conversation during those agonizing hours and days after the crucifixion when he was living with the guilt of his denial. As he was thinking about that. They certainly opened the door for the conversation that took place by the Sea of Galilee. I hadn't seen that context before. Peter's boast. Secondly, we find Peter's betrayal. As we work our way through Matthew chapter 26, um, we're going to skip over some of this passage here, but we know that Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, has his disciples stay back, and then he takes Peter, James, and John, and, and goes a little further, and he prays. And he tells them to pray also. Um, And he goes and he has this agonizing prayer there in the garden. He's praying. What are the disciples doing? (laughs) They're sleeping. And this will come into play. We'll talk more about this tonight. But three times, Jesus goes and prays. And he comes back and the disciples are asleep. They can't keep their eyes open. He tells them, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And after three rounds of this, he comes back. and, And the Bible says he rouses them from sleep. And he rouses them from sleep just as the soldiers are coming. Look down in verse 47. While he yet spake, he says, 46, rise, let us be going. He that is the hand doth betray us, doth betray me. In verse 47, while he yet spoke, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude of swords and staves and chief priests and the elders of the people. Peter is waking out of his slumber. The disciples are waking out of his sleep. And I don't know about you, but when I first drift off to sleep, and maybe it's been a little while, I am in sleep. I'm deep. I mean, I get into a deep sleep pretty quickly. And when I get roused out of that, am I 100%? (laughs) Am I consciously processing everything that's going on around me? No, think about this. I, I wanted to put a little human drama into what's going on here. Peter wakes up, and what does he see? He sees torches flickering, and he sees soldiers with swords and with spears, and he sees his Lord here, and what is he thinking? Jesus just said, I'm going to be killed, and he's like, not on my watch, and what does he do? He pulls his sword, (laughs) and he demonstrates that he's better with a net than he is with a sword. He can cast a net and catch fish. He can't swing a sword and connect, right? He catches the ear, and it falls on the ground, and what does Jesus say? Simon Peter, put your sword again in its place. Peter had all the desire He was being bold. Peter said, put the sword again in its place, and and he picks the ear up, and he puts it back, and he heals it, and he allows himself to go with the soldiers. But what do the disciples do? Look down. Is it verse 56? I'm getting ahead of myself here just a little bit. 
Verse 56 says, All this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. They all did exactly what Jesus Christ said that they were going to do. They forsook him and they fled. But look at verse 58. Peter summons some courage. And Peter followed him afar off under the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Again, we're hard on Peter. But he's one of two that says, I'm going to follow him. I want to see what's going to go on. I want to follow him to the end. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John 18 now. We're going to pick up the story in another account. John chapter 18. Verse 15 is kind of what we just read there in Matthew. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That would be John. That disciple was known unto the high priest, and he went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood out at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. So John goes out and sees Peter there. He goes and gets Peter and goes to bring him in. And as they're walking in, the damsel that keeps the gate, what does she say? Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? And reflexively, doesn't even stop and think, what is the first thing that comes out of Peter's mind? Not me. I'm not one of his disciples. This desire for self-preservation, he doesn't even stop and think about it. He just, has that ever happened to you? Someone asks you a question, and the first thought out of your mind is, no, <laughs> We don't speak a word for Jesus. That was Peter's first response. And so his first denial there in verses 15 and 17 is at the gate, the girl at the gate. Aren't you one of his disciples? Verse 18 shows us he comes in and he begins to warm himself around the fire. There's other servants and officers there. And, and Peter stands there and he's warming himself. And I think there's looks. I think people are looking at him and looking down and looking at him. And, and he's starting to, to feel that a little bit. But the scene switches in verse 19. And I had never seen this before. Look at verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus. Okay, they're, they're being questioned. A confrontation is going on now. The high priest asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. What's the first thing he asked Jesus about? His disciples. Who's Peter? One of his disciples. Where's Peter? He's out there warming himself by the fire. I think he can hear what's going on in this conversation. We know from another account that he can see Jesus because Jesus looks at him. I've never thought about the fact that, Jesus, that Peter could hear what was going on. And what does Jesus respond? He says, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the temple, synagogue and the temples where the Jews resort. I didn't say anything in secret. Why askest thou me? Ask the ones that heard me. Put that in plain English. Go talk to my disciples. <laughs> Peter's there in the courtyard now. He's warming himself by the fire and he hears this. And what is he thinking? No, don't come ask me. <laughs> no, I don't want to be where Jesus is. I don't want to be in that position. I wonder if that's playing through his mind. And it's at that point that we see the second denial. Look down in verse 25. Peter stood and warmed himself by the fire. They said, therefore, unto him, Art thou now also one of his disciples? And he denied it and said, I am not. He doesn't want to be where Jesus is. He doesn't want to go through what Jesus is going through. This, this self-preservation is kicked in. It's interesting in the book of Luke, it tells us that there's an hour that's passed between the second denial and the third denial. I hadn't put that together until I was reading through some of this. I thought it was just kind of bam, 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 right? But there's some time that's elapsed. What's going through Peter's mind as he's standing around that fire 
as he sees these people giving him these looks, as he's heard what Jesus Christ has said in response to the discussion that's going on there. An hour that he's thinking about this. I don't know what was going through his head. I think he's agonizing, though. I've already done it twice. And then there in verse 26, we see the third denial. One of the servants of the high priest. Now we're getting specific. This is one that was actually there in the garden that saw what happened. Whose ear Peter cut off said, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Then Peter denied again. And one of the other gospel accounts says he denied this time with an oath. And immediately the cock crew. Luke tells us that Jesus looked at Peter and they locked eyes. He remembered what Jesus had said and faced with his failure, he says he ran out of the judgment hall and he wept bitterly. Folks, I don't know about you, but have you ever heard that rooster crow? (laughs) The root cause of failing to share my faith in Christ and Peter's flat-out denial are not that far apart. I can remember times when I had a chance to speak for Christ and I backed out and, and at that point the rooster crowed. But folks, I want us to take heart today. I want to give us a glimpse into where Peter ended up as we get into the book of Acts. Two months later, Peter is a different person than he is what we're seeing right here in the end of the book of John. There's a transformation that takes place. I am so thankful that failure is not final. Because God's grace is still operating. And Jesus came to Peter and he'll come to you too. He can help us to get back on our feet. And we'll get to number three here, Peter's boldness. There's a lot that's taken place between what we just wrapped up here at the end of the book of John and the first part of the book of Acts. Um, We know the story of the crucifixion. We know that Jesus has risen from the grave. We know the empty tomb. We know that Peter and Jesus have seen each other on at least two occasions. We know that Jesus has lovingly confronted Peter by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has ascended back to heaven. Before that, he gave his marching orders to the disciples. All that's taken place, right? And now we get into the book of Acts. And let's look at a different Peter. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. And as we get down to verse 22, Peter's in the middle of a sermon. He's preaching. And he says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. This Jesus Christ, he lived a perfect life. He came down and demonstrated all these miracles, and you took him and you crucified him. That's pretty pointed. That's pretty direct. If Pastor Brian came here next Sunday and he preached and he got in your face like that, that specifically, would we kind of shrink back a little bit? Yeah, that's some serious boldness. Look down, uh, look down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He says it again. He's putting blame where it needs to be. And the, as you go on and see in the passage, these people are convicted by their sin. And 3,000 people trust Christ that day. There's some power in Peter's life. There's some boldness. Look on in Acts chapter 3. This is the the occasion here is the healing of the lame man. Peter and John go to the temple at the hour of prayer and they see this lame man and and God gives them the power to heal him and he rises up and walks and now all these people are gathering to see this and Peter's got an audience again. So what does he do? He begins to preach. 
<clears throat> and let's pick it up in, uh, well, there's a lot here. We're not going to be able to read all of the, the entire story. Um, I'm looking at my notes here to see how much I do want to try to, to bring out. But look in verse 12. <clears throat> when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Ye denied the Holy One and the Just One and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, wherefore we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. All now, brethren, I wot that you, through ignorance ye did it, as did also the rulers. Look down to verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Is that a powerful sermon? Is that boldness? You know, something else that caught my attention, and we don't have time to explore this, but I want you to think about this. What words do we see Peter using in his message here? He talks about these people denying the Holy One, (laughs) and then he talks about them being converted. Isn't that very similar to what happened in Peter's life? Three times he denied his Lord, and then God came to him and restored him as he repented. I think sometimes we think, well, I can't speak about things because of my failures. Peter was using the same exact terminology. Yes, he had failed. Yes, he had denied his Lord just like these people had, but God had forgiven him. And sometimes I think our failures can actually be used as a springboard to help somebody else see Christ. Don't be afraid of your failures if they're in the past and if they've been repented of and God has restored you. That's not a bad thing. Let's look on to a third illustration here. He is now before the council. We're in chapter 4. And this is a long passage that, again, we're not going to explore the entire thing. But the people, the the priests and the captains of the temple, the Sadducees, were grieved because of what Peter and John were saying. They were grieved because of these messages. Uh, They were talking about Jesus. And and verse 3, they laid hands on them and put them in the hold, even to the next day, for it was now even time. What's the hold? It's prison. Took them and put them in jail. It's night. And the next morning, what happens? They bring them out and they assemble the council together. And they begin to question them. Look down in verse 7. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? (laughs) Notice Peter's response. Again, it's not John. It's Peter that's speaking up. Filled with the Holy Ghost, he said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, and by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified... Whom God hath raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which which is set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. (laughs) That's powerful. He didn't mince any words. Does he not know who these people are? Do you know who these people are? Look back to verse 5. It came to pass on the morrow that the rulers, the elders, the scribes, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and the rest of the priests. Who are these people? It's the same people that were at the council that put Jesus Christ to death. It's the same people that Peter was looking at, talking to Christ when he denied him. And now he's standing before this same crowd, and he has the boldness of a lion. What an incredible change has taken place in his life. We get to verse 18, and we see that they order him to stop preaching. 
They called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, verse 19, answered in this way, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, uh, that's, that's in your court. You judge that. For we cannot speak but what we have seen and what we have heard. Wow. They threaten them. They release them. They really don't have any reason to hold them. And now they continue preaching and ministering. We see that through the rest of the passage. Move over to chapter 5. <clears throat> chapter 5, and we'll look down in verse, <clears throat> starting in verse 17. They've continued preaching. Folks were being healed. People were being saved by the thousands in this situation. In verse 17, the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is a sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. What does that mean? They were ticked. <laughs> they were not happy about what was going on here. They laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Let's get them in jail. Let's silence them. We'll talk about what we're going to do. The next morning, they're geared up for their counsel, but God's got a sense of humor. Look in verse 19. The angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. God breaks them out of jail. He takes them and he puts them in the temple and says, Go, and in the morning, I want you to preach. So this is what's going on in the temple. The disciples are there preaching. And now what's happening Behind closed doors, verse 21, when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning. They taught, they preached, verse 22, the officers came and found them not in the prison. So they returned and told, saying, the prison truly found we shut up with all safety. The doors were all closed. The guards were at their post, but there was nobody inside. The disciples were gone. And when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Then came one and told them, saying... <laughs> Behold, the man whom you put in prison are standing in the temple, preaching. <laughs> All points bulletin, right? Everybody go find these guys. Where are they at? They're in the temple. They're preaching. They're doing what we told them not to do. Is there some embarrassment now going on here with the council? I think a little bit. When somebody in power is embarrassed, do you really want to be the one standing in front of them incurring their wrath? I wouldn't. But they bring the disciples back in, and they, and they stand them before the council, and they begin to talk to them again. <clears throat> And look down in verse 27. When they had brought them, they sat them before the council, and the high priest asked them, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What a statement. What would you say in response to that, to people that could take your life? Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Yes, his blood is on your hands. He was direct. Him that God hath exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses. We're going to keep saying exactly what we've told you. His blood is upon you. And now the council is angry. And as you read through the passage a little more, Gamaliel intervenes. And that's a whole other context. At the end, to get down to verse 40, they beat the disciples and they release them. And what's the response of Peter and the disciples? They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What keeps us from speaking up for our Lord so often? We don't want to suffer shame. And here they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and every house, they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Wow. What a difference. What an example of boldness. What a change in Peter. 
a totally different man in Acts than what we see in the Gospels. In Matthew and in John, Peter had made his boast. I think he meant it. I really do. He made his boast, but then he fell flat on his face in failure. He left the courtyard a broken man. But Jesus' prayer was fulfilled. He was restored. And when he was restored, he went and strengthened his brothers. And folks, the same thing can happen to us. There are times that we fall on our face in denial of our Lord. We don't stand up and we don't witness for him like we should. But God can do the same thing for us that he did for Peter. Folks, Peter went from betrayal to boldness. But he did it by means of brokenness. We don't always like that part. I don't. That's the hard part. God has to break us, and he's got to rid us of our self-reliance. And that's often what God has to do with us as well. Folks, those hard times that come into our lives, those situations that leave us wrung out and completely empty, those circumstances that bring us to the end of our rope, folks, they ought to bring us to our knees in prayer like it did with Peter. Folks, God is ridding us of our self-confidence and our self-reliance. He's emptying us of ourselves so that he can fill us with Christ. Because in our own strength, we can't do anything. But when our strength is gone, he can fill us with the power of Christ. The breaking is no fun. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if there's times that you failed your Lord. I, I feel like through the last couple of years, I've been in a breaking process. God is working in my heart and in my life, and it's been some hard stuff. And I don't like it. And I'm guessing you might be in the same position if you're in hard stuff. You don't like it. But stay the course. Don't give up. God is trying to do a work in your life to empower you in a way to serve him that you couldn't do any other way. He's got to empty us of our self-confidence and our self-reliance so that we rely upon him. Don't give up. Surrender to his working in your life. Folks, when we do that, we're going to find just like Peter that failure doesn't have to be final. And that brokenness indeed leads to boldness. God will empower us if we let him continue that process in our lives. Father, I thank you for this study, brief study through the life of Peter. I thank you that you give us examples in your word of people that have failed. It's not always about the victory. Father, you show us that men are men, women are women, and we're all sinful people. And just like Peter failed, Father, so often we fail as well, and yet that doesn't have to be the end of the story. God, you want to break us, but you do it in love, and you want to do it in such a way that we're not broken and hurting forever. You want us to be restored and converted, just like Peter. And Father, you can bring us back to a place where you can use us to greater and greater degrees. I pray that you'd help us not to resist that process, not to fight against it, but to realize, Lord, that you can take us and and remove our self-confidence and our self-reliance and make us more and more dependent upon you. And Father, when that happens, you can use us to a greater and greater degree. Father, I thank you for that. Lord, as we ponder those thoughts as we go home today, I just pray that you would help us not to quit if we're in one of those times of difficulty. Father, maybe we've been through those. We can rejoice like Peter in what you've done for us. Father, empower us and use us. Help us to be bold witnesses for you. And Father, we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.